Are you ready? make of this 
or is this just the media kind of weighing in and reading into things too much because they need something to happen? Well, it could be that. Not like the media would ever do anything like that, but there may be a problem. Who knows? Because Cormier, while he has always been a bigger light heavyweight, he never has had any problems making the 205 mark. So not sure what's going on. Not sure whether he was um, wasn't just feeling well this week. I'm not sure, but nonetheless, it, it's an interesting point. It's an interesting um, idea going into this fight. I tell you, I, I saw the pictures. I didn't get to see the video because I was at work, but Johnson looks good, man. He he looks pumped. He looks in some of the best shape of his life. And uh, Cormier, I don't know if it was just the dejection of having to go cut the weight in two hours or what, but he I don't know, man. It, we we could be smelling an upset tomorrow night. Well, we're going to preview that in a little while on the second part of the show. But I will say this. I, my personal opinion, Bragg, is that Cormier coming off of that knee surgery, this is his first fight since the knee surgery. He said he felt great. He's never been better. I think maybe he might have under estimated his weight cut a little bit. I don't I don't necessarily think it's anything to be concerned of, although Vegas has dropped the odds now before the win the fight was even. It was minus one fifteen apiece for both of these guys. Now it's Rumble minus one forty and Cormier plus one oh five. So a slight favorite wow. leaning to Johnson. We'll see if that means anything a little bit later. Let's talk about some other news real quick, Bragg. The Nevada State Athletic Commission has granted Conor McGregor a boxing license. We have now found out that they have also granted them a venue and a date of September 17th at the MGM Grand. Things are starting to develop. It's looking more and more as if this fight will take place. Conor's coach, Bragg, said that he is training mentally and physically for the Mayweather fight, and that they also know that they are fighting arguably one of the greatest fighters of all time, and they are taking him seriously, although they did say that they feel like it's easier training for boxing compared to all the other disciplines you have to prepare for for a mixed martial arts contest. Bragg, is this just hyperbole, or is Conor McGregor's team getting ready for uh, for a real fight with Floyd Mayweather. Oh, I think they have all intentions of uh, making that fight in September. I'll tell you what, it's, it's interesting because the last couple of weeks, uh, the sports media in particular has been dominated by the NCAA tournament. Of course, Major League Baseball opened up in, in the NBA. The Masters. Toward their playoffs, the Masters this weekend, and then, of course, um, you know, the issues with Syria that happened over the last couple of days. Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather, for the first time in a couple of months, has sort of been on the back burner. He hadn't heard a lot about it. It hadn't been a daily update. But things seem to be getting done. And it it really we, – we were talking before that we thought that if it, nothing was announced – I think we – do we say April 15th? I think I said tax day. I think you may have given it yeah. a few weeks later, but – yeah, so we, we always said that if it wasn't gonna didn't get announced in the month of April that it wasn't going to happen at all. 
we seem to get closer and closer to that big announcement. And I, I suspect it could come within a matter of a week or so. Now, other other athletes that we respect, such as Lennox Lewis, Hall of Famer, retired, one of the one of the greatest heavyweight champions of all time, and a European. So I mean, he's he's from England. He's friends with Conor McGregor. He he said that he doesn't want to see this fight. That once the bell rings, it's not really a fight, and that Floyd Mayweather is going to completely destroy Conor. I've heard other people like Chris Weedman and say that they think Conor McGregor is going to beat Mayweather because Conor is going to be bigger, longer, and stronger, and possibly faster, they think. I feel that's, like... That's a pretty bold statement. Exactly. And here's the thing. that Are we ever going to really get an honest opinion about this fight until the fight takes place? Because it feels like all the MMA people are sticking with their camp and all the boxing people are calling this fight a joke. And they're fighting in a boxing ring. I mean, it's not like Connor's going to get to you. It's a boxing match. I mean, is this – you know how I feel. I, I think it's a mockery. I don't think this fight should count on Floyd's professional record because – but apparently Las Vegas said that because Connor is a two-time world champion – that they feel like he'll be able to handle himself in a professional prize fight. Bragg, what do you think? Well, to answer your first question, you will get honest opinions, and that's one thing we ourselves at the Ultimate Fight Show pride ourselves on is the fact that we give you the most honest opinions on, you know, in, in the industry. So you're going to get those honest opinions about that fight with us. With that being said, it's I, I agree. I, you know, I have no problem with the MMA side rooting for Conor McGregor. It it almost right, feels like just, it's a way to. This is just in breaking news from Twitter. Uh, Dana White just met with Conor McGregor, and Conor McGregor said that after his baby is born, that he wants Dana White to secure the fight with Floyd Mayweather. So that is, I guess now, everybody getting on. Or see like this fight is going to happen. And when is his baby due? In I May, believe I his believe. baby due in May. Yes. Well, you know that that the timeline fits fits pretty well there. You know, September if they officially announce it in May, that gives you four months of pure promotion. You're a high and you don't even really thing. have to promote. You don't even really have to promote it too, because you know both of these guys are so global that it you really need maybe two months. As long as this fight is is done by by June, it will happen in September. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, it is. You know, going back to what I was saying, I have no problem with the MMA side uh, rooting for Conor McGregor here. It's gonna. A lot of MMA guys feel like a fight with Conor McGregor and a victory or even a cop being competitive against a boxer like that will add some legitimacy, which I don't feel like they need. I don't feel like the MMA uh, world needs that because it's two different sports. I mean, we talked about it here, but boxing is a sport in and of itself. Mixed martial arts, although boxing is a part of mixed martial arts, MMA is a sport 
in and of itself. It's completely different. It's things and it's going to be interesting to see. You and I both agree, and I think we, anybody with any sense will say that Floyd Mayweather will and should win that fight without any question. Um, be that audience that is going to be for Conor McGregor. I'm sure there will be money put down on Conor McGregor somewhere. I'm not sure who the hell would be stupid enough to do that. But uh, with that being said, uh, early odds. It looks early odds points put <laughs> Floyd Mayweather at a two to one favorite. Well, if you had a couple of hundred or a thousand dollars to blow, you know, if you're going to go into the casino and blow it anyway, why the hell not put it on that fight? And see what happens. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, one one way of looking at it. Again, we'll keep you guys updated as more news develops, but it's shaping up as if in the fall, Floyd Mayweather will be back for the first time in two years, and it looks like it's going to be against Conor McGregor stepping into the squared circle for the first time at the highest level. Should be interesting, if anything else. All right, Greg, let's, uh, let's talk real quick about uh, my champion, uh, North Carolina Tar Heels. I, uh, I had three of the four Final Four, as we had uh, told everyone on the last uh, show. North Carolina was able to carry the day, and, uh, yeah, I'm pretty happy about it. And as you should be. It was a, it was a great tournament. March Madness is always fun and exciting, and, of course, in my neck of the woods, the University of South Carolina Gamecocks was the biggest story throughout the tournament. Made that great run. Uh, have nothing to be ashamed of uh, against Gonzaga, bowing out in the final four and the semifinals there. Uh, just, a, just a great overall tournament. Uh, North Carolina, uh, congratulations to them. Congratulations to you on making those picks. Uh, but I will say this, um, if you weren't paying attention, the Lady Gamecocks, won the national yeah. championship after UConn lost after, what was it, 111 or 114 games in a row that UConn Huskies had won? Yeah, one yeah, it was it, It's insane. and uh, But, yeah, no, just, just an overall, just an absolute great um, NCAA tournament on both sides, the men and women's uh, tournaments. Uh, really enjoyed it, and that's why it's one of the best playoffs in sports. Absolutely, and again, a shout-out to the uh, Gamecocks. I used to live in South Carolina in Charleston, so I have a special place in my heart for the uh, Gamecocks as well. So, all right, let's, uh, let's move on to talk a little sweet science here at the Ultimate Fight Show. show, of course, Mayweather news is definitely uh, dominating the headlines again with McGregor, but there was also the second biggest fighter in the world, Manny Pacquiao, signed a deal to fight Jeff Horn for the WBO welterweight title. Bragg, what do you know about Jeff Horn, who's Australian, 
And is this a fight, you know, well, actually, you know what, I'll just tell you about Horn real quick. He's 16-0, and 0, he's got 11 knockouts, he's young. They're going to fight on July 2nd now, and it's going to be in Australia. So I guess Pacquiao wants to fight closer to home after the con fight fell through. Is this, uh, this going to be a real test of, pa- of where Pacquiao's at? fighting a younger undefeated fighter or is this more of a Pacquiao kind of treading water let's cash a paycheck until I can find out if I can get Mayweather or Amir Khan or someone like that well I definitely think from Pacquiao's camp standpoint that it's going to be a fight that you know you can go into Australia enter a new market so to speak uh, fight the hometown boy and um, get away, but I'll tell you, when I first heard this fight, the first thing that came to my mind was trap. It almost, uh, something tells me this might be a trap fight, because Horn is a good young fighter, uh, got a lot of talent, and of course, he's never fought the talent of someone like Manny Pacquiao, but, you know, you've got a guy fighting in his home country, uh, he's going to have the country behind him. Um, even though Manny Pacquiao is popular all over the world, he's a global superstar. And I don't know, man. I've, I've just got a little feeling in my stomach that uh, this could be a trap fight for Manny Pacquiao if he's not careful. Yeah, it's, it's definitely oh, – we've been saying for a while now that Manny Pacquiao's skills have been deteriorating. But, you know, that tends to be the case when you're fighting the best of the best and you're fighting much bigger opponents. Pacquiao now seems to want to fight – or continue fighting, even though he adamantly said less than two years ago that he was going to, you know, focus more on politics in his home country. He's a senator now. Um, his party is in charge. His friend is the president. People think one day Manny Pacquiao could be the president. I, I just don't understand. It almost sounds like Bob Arum won't let him retire because he's a cash cow. I, I don't really know what the deal is, but Manny Pacquiao should win this fight, but I think we're going to find out a lot about where his skills are at this age. We know what he did. He's one of the greatest of all time, especially in the last 25 years. But where is he at now? We'll find that out. Greg, uh, we talked about um, a little bit in, you know, some of the the history about uh, great fights throughout the years that we've had this show and one of my all-time favorite fights it's in my top five ever in boxing and it's one of the fights that I originally fell in love with sport and of course I'm talking about the April 6, 1987 super fight between Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Sugar Ray Leonard that yesterday marked the 30th year anniversary brag wow has it been 30 years uh, it's hard to believe, man. I remember that fight taking place. I remember my dad and I both being excited about it. Uh, we didn't watch it on pay-per-view live, but uh, a friend of ours did have the capabilities to get order that pay-per-view or the closed circuit or however it was being shown. I don't remember, but uh, he recorded it for us. We got to take the next day, avoided the spoilers, and watched it live. It was a pretty cool memory I remember having with my dad and um, just the excitement. We were both rooting for uh, Sugar Ray pretty hard there, or at least I was. At least I, I think my dad he was a uh, Hagler fan as well. But um, yeah, it was that that was 
hard to believe, man. You're absolutely right. 30 years has flown by. Yeah, I was eight years old um, watching the fight with my dad and kind of the same thing. We were both Hagler fans, but we both liked Sugar Ray more. And you kind of had to admire what Sugar Ray was doing that night, not having fought for three years, fighting a guy that was 62-2 with and hadn't lost in a decade, um, arguably the hardest puncher in that division, and Sugar Ray was moving up 13 pounds north to fight this man. Such a crazy feat in those days. It might not seem as much now with guys like Pacquiao, you know, fighting seven weight classes or Delahoy or Mayweather, but back then, moving up two full weight classes to fight a lineal, legit, one of the top three middleweights in the history of boxing. And it was just, I mean, even even Sugar Ray's own brother didn't think that he would win the fight. And they actually had, if you watch, um, if you watch any of the uh, documentaries, the Legendary Knights, um, they talk about how they actually had a different strategy. And then they brought in a guy and Sugar Ray got knocked out. Not knocked out, but knocked down. And they were like, wow, if this guy knocked me down, imagine what Marvelous is going to do. So they kind of changed their whole strategy more of a let's use inches and angles, let's use our speed, let's mess with him and try to, you know, win a close decision. And that's, you know, if you watch that fight, I mean, that's something I've never talked about, what I just shared with you there. But over the years, we've we've had this featured, we've, we've had it up on the website, Facebook, all that stuff. And, I mean, it's always generated huge controversy, huge applause. And it's just... um. It's one of the again. It's one. It's one of my favorite fights of all time. Hagler comes out the first two rounds boxing orthodox when he's a southpaw, trying to mess with Sugar Ray. Sugar Ray easily boxes his ears off. Takes the first two rounds 2-0. Had Hagler come out and fought his normal style, he, he pro- most likely would have won the fight. It, it, to this day, it, it still to wonder what possessed him to come out and fight in a way he's never fought at the highest stage in the biggest fight against the toughest opponent. It, it's one of the ages, Bragg. Um, yeah, just as the fight it seemed like Hagler got stronger. If it would have been a 15 round fight, Hagler would have won. These are the concessions that Leonard made for the fight to take place because he was the A-side. It's much the same way that Weather and now took so many years and so many different backroom deals to get done. Leonard Leonard wanted a big ring. He got it. He wanted 10-ounce gloves. He got it. Or no, actually 12-ounce gloves they wore for that fight. He, want, he got 12 rounds instead of 15. It, all these little things, he wore, de- he wore tassels on his shoes so that the judges would see his feet. He told Angelo to yell out 30 and hit the and hit the mat so that he would know to flourish steel rounds. And in the end, Bragg, the split decision and new. Much the same way as what we saw in November with with uh Kovalov and War. It was a very similar fight on a smaller level. I know I talked for a while there, it was a lot of process. What is what do you think about that? And then tell me your favorite moment of that fight. 
You know, as, you know, as you were sitting there talking about, I was just kind of going back and remembering it, and just like you said, it. I don't think people today realize just how huge and how monumental that fight was. You can look back of it at it now and see that great and see that it was a close fight, but the it was huge. I mean, I, I think at that point it sold, it held the record for pay-per-view buys and or closed circuit television buys, and it just it was a huge deal. And not to mention, Hagler was still coming off the high, or you know that great, great, great. I know we posted on Twitter and Facebook earlier about the best rounds. Uh, a bet, one of the best rounds in MMA history, but um, he wasn't that far removed from Hagler Hearns, and their their vicious war that uh, you know Hagler came out on top of. So it was, um, you know, it was just such a huge, huge fight. Like you said, Leonard coming back, and as far as my biggest memory of the fight, I, I agree with you. The you know we talk about how just the second guessing that um, Hagler had to have had coming out uh, boxing southpaw those first two rounds. I'm sorry, about uh, orthodox. You know, boxing his opposite side, first two rounds, basically giving, spotting Sugar Ray Leonard two rounds. And a boxer like Sugar Ray Leonard, how he basically at that point was able to just outbox him until the later rounds when Hagler started coming on and surging. Uh, just, it was just an absolute fantastic night for boxing and for you know, boxing fans in general. And it was one of my fights of all time. I know we've talked about it in the past. And i got to say, too, just talking about Marvelous Marvin Hagler, was there ever a more fitting nickname than Marvelous no, I mean, he legally changed his name to Marvelous so that they had to say it because it was one of the ways that he got back for being snubbed in all by all those promoters early on. I mean, Marvelous Marvin Hagler didn't become champion until the 80s, but he should have been a champion in the late 70s, but because of politics and other things, so that's why he changed his name. The, fu- the fight is monumental. We put the poll up on Twitter, 50. Down the middle, it's still to this day one of the most controversial talked about. I will say this: I've probably seen the fight in my life at least 25 times, and in all 25 times, I have never once scored the fight for for Hagler. If it, if that means anything, I've I've had it a draw a few times, but I've never once scored the fight for Hagler. I don't think I have either. I, I've always thought that um, Leonard edged it out, edged the fight out. It, I, I, a great fight like that, stole as close a fight as that was. He stole the event. Yeah, oh, absolutely, he did. And it was just, you, you can't go wrong, but I, I agree with you. I don't think Hagler won that fight. At best, it was a draw for Hagler, but... I think Sugar Ray Leonard was justified in winning that fight. I just think that Hagler, like I said, he spotted him two rounds. Um, uh, Leonard was able to go up large, uh, you know, big enough early on that Hagler just was not quite able to reach the top of the mountain. Um, as you said, if it were 15 rounds, Hagler may have gotten to him in 
was probably going to be able to win that fight. But as it was at 12 rounds, Leonard won it. Absolutely. Let's uh, go to the Facebook page if you want, and we'll have that up there. You can see the great one of the greatest fights of all time. Let's talk about the three fights real quick. Before we get into the big UFC card, we got Terry Pendigan against uh, Peter Petroff. They're all WBO title fights that we're going to be covering these three. Uh, Petroff has the WBO title. I expect him to take care of business and win by knockout in the ninth round. Greg, what do you got? Yeah, I, I had him as well. I have that Petroff winning uh, by TKO in the seventh. I think he'll do it a little earlier, but um, yeah, we're both along the same lines there. All right. Um, we got in the next fight a cruiserweight title fight: Michael Hunter against Alexander Usyk for Usyk's cruiserweight title. Then, if you recall, he took off the Hawk, Marco Hawk. Um, Ray, I don't see uh, Hunter being in there. I think this is going to be more of like a glorified uh, sparring match. I'll say uh, Usyk wins in the sixth round by knockout. I'm right in line with you there. I was going to say uh, fourth or fifth. So, yeah. I, I, Hunter, he, of course, he's got a boxer's chance, a puncher's chance, but I don't think he's going to get that much. All right, and then we get to uh, one of one of the best fighters in the world, pound for pound, the Sally Lomachenko against Jason Sosa for the 130-pound WBO title. This could be Lomachenko's last fight at this weight as bigger fights with Mikey Garcia, Terrence Crawford, Lou North. Bragg, how do you see this one going down Saturday night? Yeah, it should be a good fight. Uh, we've, we've picked two knockouts in a row. I, I think this will go be a wide unanimous decision victory for Lomachenko. Um, he could stop him later on in the fight, but I think it's going to be a boxing lesson that he's teaching that night. Yeah, I could see that happen, but I, I think Lomachenko wants to make a statement that uh, he's outgrown this weight class and do it with another knockout. I think I think Lomachenko gets him out of there in the eighth round by TKO. All right, let's move to the MMA side of things. Uh, we have about a half hour left in our show. If you're listening, again, if you want to call in, one six five seven three eight three one four one two. Greg, let's talk about real quick. April ninth, twenty eleven, six years ago today. Strike Force welterweight title fight. Nick Diaz, Paul Daly engaged in what was the MMA equivalent for Strike Force of Hagler Hearns, as you brought up. I I, I would say that Bonner Griffin was probably the equivalent for. Or um, or uh, Shogun and Henderson was the equivalent for UFC, but just a great fight. Arguably one of the, arguably the best round in MMA. Uh, Paul Daly rocks Diaz early. Diaz comes and fights back, only to get not almost knocked out with a left hook dropped. Has the wherewithal to um, move his head, get back up, and then finish his daily. Eight seconds left in the round, both bleeding. Just a fantastic fight. Bragg, what, what were your thoughts on that? Oh, it was absolutely an exciting, exciting fight. A great, a great round. I'm not, 
I'm not sure I'm going to call it the greatest round because you've got a lot of them that uh, match up. You've got, of course, um, Hendo, Dan Henderson, and Fedor Emelianenko. You have uh, Pat Barry and Czech Congo. Uh, uh, there was, oh, uh, oh, that was another one that was just in my head. And I'm, I'm slipping now. But, but yeah, it was it was it was definitely it, there were fireworks that round in that fight, uh, just an absolute great great fight back and forth. Oh, the other one I was wanting to think of Matt Hughes and Frank Trigg. To me, that's one of the best one round fights um, ever. Yeah. So, um, and then a couple of actually last year you had was it Andre Olowski and Travis Brown. Mm-hmm. Had a had a yeah. great one round fight. So. Um, you can't go wrong with Nick Diaz and Paul Daly, though. Uh, just a fantastic two guys going out there, giving it everything they got. All right, we'll get into this UFC. We're going to do all 13 fights, the prelims, everything. We'll give you in-depth, in-depth analysis for the main card, but let's go through this. we got uh, Magomed, uh, Bilalota, Russia 13-0, flyweight against the We both look like Akimoto fighting keep his undefeated streak going. Uh, the next fight, women's bantamweight, we got Irene Eldana, 7-3 against Caitlin Chookigan, 8-1. Will she get choked again? I don't know. I think so. I'll go with Aldana by choke in the second round. Brad, who you got? Uh, I do, too. I like Aldana to win this fight by submission. And, yeah, second round sounds good, too. All right, Josh Emmett, eleven and zero lightweight against Desmond Green, nineteen and five. I'll go with the undefeated bit. By UD, I I would view by decision. Yep. All right, moving along. Andrew Holbrook, twelve and one lightweight against Gregor Gillespie, eight and zero. Doesn't have a pitcher listed. I'll go with Gregor. To win this fight by decision in an upset, maybe it's undefeated. You don't know. Well, I, I'm actually we're going to go the other way here. I like Holbert to win this fight. Uh, uses uh, grappling to win a, a close decision, maybe even split. But I think he gets his hand raised. All right, Jan Blackowitz against Patrick Cummings, light heavyweight. I'll go with Cummings to win this by knockout in the first round. Greg, what you got? Uh, I've got him by winning in the second round by TKO. You got who? Patrick Cummings. All right. Charles Rosa, featherweight, 11-2 and two against Shane Burgos, 8-0. and oh. I'll go with Burgos by decision. Brag, we got? I'm actually going with Rosa this fight. I think he um, is able to do adventure. All right, Kamara Usman, welterweight, nine and one against Sean Strickland, eighteen one. I'll never bet against a guy named Strickland. Takes me back to uh, back, back to the future, Strickland. And I'll go with him. We got. Ah, uh, what's good? Greg, we lose you. I'm going, I think I'm going through a little bit of a dead spot here. All right. Strickland or Usman? Strickland or Usman? Can, 
And then All right. Well, yeah, strict, Strickland right. or Usman? Um, I'm going with uh, I'm going with Usman this fight. All right. Moving on. Miles Jury, 15 and two against Mike Delatora, 14 and six featherweight. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Jury here, thinking that he needs this win more. I think. So I'm gonna go with Jury by stoppage in the third round. And, you know, Miles Jury is a guy who's really improved a lot over the last couple of years. Uh, very, he's been more and more impressive, it seems like, with each fight. I'm going with Jury as well. I think he gets sub in the second round. All right. Charles Oliveira against Will Brooks, 18-2. and two. Both these guys ranked at lightweight on the lower end of 10. Greg, Oliveira's been all over the place. He's down, but then he's able to win. What do you got in this I actually like Will Brooks to win this fight. Um, like you said, Oliveira is just—he's not consistent, and I—I I think Will Brooks has been pretty consistent. I think he lost his last fight by decision, but I believe it was a close decision. I think Brooks was able to use his superior wrestling to uh, get a decision victory here. Yeah, I also like Brooks in this fight. All right, Patrick Cote, 23-10 and 10 against Thiago Alves, 21-11. and 11. This is a blast from the past fight at welterweight. Craig, <laughs> who do you got in this one? You know, I, I was going to say the same thing. This is, this is like we're rewound the clock about seven years, so it seems like. Uh, I initially was saying Thiago Alves is going to win this fight, but I'm going to uh, go here and pick Patrick Cote to get a stoppage in the third round. I was thinking the exact same thing. I was like, Thiago Alves should win, and then I'm like, oh, wait, this isn't 1998. Um, and he, <laughs> his way out of the division, somehow now older, he's found a way to get back in the division. I smell shenanigans, so I'm going with Cote by, um, I, I think he get him out of there in the first round, actually. All right. You know it. Woman's fight on the main card, strawweight, Cynthia Cavallio, 4-0, against Pearl Gonzalez, 6-1. Don't know a lot about either one of these. I'll go with the undefeated girl, Cynthia Cavallo, by decision. Bragg, who you got? Actually, LC, I'm going to give you some breaking news if you didn't hear. This fight was actually dropped from the card. Thank God. Um, <laughs> well... Get, get, all right. The reason why is because um, what uh, the uh, Gonzalez is that her name? Yeah. She has breast implants, and the New oh, York State Athletic Commission will not um, said that fighters are not allowed to fight, or female fighters at least. Hopefully, a male fighter won't have to worry about it. That uh, the breast implants um, she couldn't she didn't pass her physical, I guess, or whatever the terminology is, but. That has canceled that fight. Well, once again, tits got in the way of something. So, <laughs> all right. Let's go to the co-main event here. This is a, this is a fight I'm really looking forward to. Gegard Mousasi, 41-6. and six. We have him ranked in the top five by the Ultimate Fight Show against Chris Weidman, the former champion, 13-2. and two. Come off back-to-back devastating losses by knockout to Rockhold and Romero. 
brag. It's in New York again. Weidman's from here. They tried to shake it off, get him a W in front of his people. What's going on here? This is a tough fight to call. Vegas has it almost even. Mousasi's a slight favorite. Who do you got Saturday night? Yeah, it's going to be a real good fight. And I tell you, the UFC really wants Chris Weidman to be a star. They've been pushing, especially, of course, leading up to the Anderson Silva fight. And since then, they've really pushed him, and they want him to be a star. I, for some reason, have never liked him. I, I don't know why. If something just rubs me the wrong way about him. I've never been a fan of Chris Weidman. I have no reason to not like him. All-American guy, just, you know, good guy. Everybody, everybody likes him. I just, I just don't for some reason. So, with that being said, I'm rooting for Jacare to win this fight. I think he's going to win this fight because, as you said, Weidman coming off two devastating losses. Guys just don't recover uh, as well after two knockouts like they got. And those were two big ones. I think Jacques Ray goes on to win this fight. I think he's in line for a title shot here. I think he, you mean Mustafi? Yeah, I'm sorry. Not Jacques Ray. Gegard Mustafi. Um, I just got on 995. I'm merging into traffic. My bad. Uh, <laughs> the um, Gegard Mustafi, yes. I, I believe he wins this fight. I believe he gets a submission in the second round. I think he goes on to get a title shot. Or either fight somebody like Jacques Ray um, for an opportunity at a title. Yeah, this is a fight where um, I'm actually the opposite. I actually like Chris Weidman. Uh, I've, the only time I've ever picked against him was the first time he fought Anderson Silva. I actually had Weidman the second time over Anderson Silva um, and every time after that. I just I just don't I just don't see it anymore. Again, back to back, devastating losses. And then let's look at Musasi. He lost to Uriah Hall by knockout. Since then he's beat Fialis Latis, he's beat Thiago Santos, Vitor Belfort and Uriah Hall by knockout in the first round. He lost to Uriah Hall by knockout in the second round. So he avenged it by knockout earlier. If he wins this fight, if he wins this fight, he could have a nice five-fight win streak, and that is his last fight. This is Musasi's last fight on his UFC contract. So a win here against Weidman puts him at a great advantage for bargaining for future contracts and fights, which is what he's been very vocal about, Bragg. He said that you know, he's only making about $100,000 every fight, sometimes only 50. He doesn't think that he's been getting paid enough. Uh, Dana White has said he likes Gegard Mousasi, but that he's been kind of difficult to deal with. And that's no surprise because Mousasi's best friends with Fedor and Leonardo, and, you know, they always trade together. I just think that this is Mousasi's time. Heidman's on the decline. I like Mousasi by submission in the second round as well. Yeah, let me let me ask you a question. Now we're seeing this more and more. Is did the transition to this new ownership group has this affected their business sense? Because you're seeing more and more fighters come up um, on their last fight without a contract moving forward. You're seeing guys like Ryan Bader just signed with Bellator. Uh, of course, Ben Henderson walked. Uh, you, you're, you're seeing a lot of 
fighters here coming up with, I don't want to say contract issues, but they're not being secured. Is this a result, say, of the new management not necessarily understanding how to deal with fighters themselves, or is this just um, the uh, UFC letting letting things see how things go before committing too much to uh, one or two individuals? I mean, I think that it's uh, to me it's a question of of overvalue. I think that the UFC had a phenomenal private product that they bought for. $10 million and then invested another 60 or $70 million over the next 10 years with the Ultimate Fighter and other things to build their brand into a product that was worth billions, and they got a really good price for it at $4.2 billion. But the problem is, is that when you pay $4.2 billion for something, you're expecting to see profit exceeding $4.2 billion. And I don't think that the UFC buyers knew how integral and how tepid fighters could be. You know, I think the Reebok deal put a bad taste in a lot of fighters' mouth now that they can't have their own sponsorship and do their own promotions that they used to supplement their income with. I think starting to see other organizations like Bellator pay top dollar for UFC names that can still fight. And with guys like Conor McGregor and everything being driven towards the pay-per-view numbers, I just think it's going to be really hard for these guys to get a return on their $4 billion investment. I think that they overpaid for the UFC. Personally, I think the UFC was probably worth about $3 billion, not $4.2. And that $1.2 billion is going to you know, really be the bottom line I think these guys are going to be trying to get. And let's face it, Petito and Dana White and all them were basically paying slave wages for about 10 years in the UFC. It was only the, the top, top guys like Randy Couture and Dell and those dudes that were making like 500000 a million bucks. It's only been recently in the last five years that some of these guys, like since Ronda and Connor, that these guys have been getting million dollar checks, like with Lesnar and stuff like that. So, Bragg, uh, to answer your question, yeah, I just think that we're going to start seeing this a lot more. I think it's going to become not as bad as football with free agency, but I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the names in the UFC are here in two years. Well, I'll tell you what is one thing that's interesting is um, I read a report that Viacom, who, of course, owns Spike TV, which is the home of Bellator, they, I guess they sent out the edict to Scott Coker and to the Bellator officials to go out and sign every major name that's worth signing. So, and they basically gave them an open checkbook to do so. You, Bellator is becoming a viable option. Of course, they put on a big fight last weekend with... Rampage and Lowell, it wasn't the greatest fight in the world, but it drew a good many viewers. They're going to have a pay-per-view coming up, uh, headlined with two main events featuring Chael Son and Vanderlei Silva, and of course, Fedor and Matt Mitrione and their match that's going to finally take place. Bellator's making a move here, and it's at the right time. So can you imagine Gegard Mousasi winning this fight, winning it uh, decisively, and then walking to Bellator? 
It, it's going to oh, happen cute. more and more. It's going to happen more and more. And it's, like I said, of course, Ryan Bader just signed. Uh, I think he's getting he's getting a big fight uh, right off the bat uh, with Mo, with King Mo. Um, so I think he was going to get the winner of uh, Rampage and King Mo. King Mo won that fight. Bader's going to get that fight there. So Bellator's making a move, and I know they've been fairly, you know, fairly or unfairly, but um, some of the criticism has been fair about some of their promotional practices, uh, doing these showcase fights and these. Uh, these crazy fights like Kimbo and Dada 3000 stuff like that. So they're really making a move, something to watch out for. I think you're going to hear more and more noise out of Bellator over the next few months, especially as they beat Lily up to their pay-per-view. And I think the UFC, I don't want to say they're in trouble, but they're, they're not the, they're not as secure and in as secure of a spot as they once were, and not let's not forget too. I think their Fox deal is coming to an end next, either the end of this year as well. So that's something to kind of keep your eye out for as well. Yeah, and that and the Fox deal is probably where these business guys who bought the UFC are going to have to try to make up their money. And I suspect that Fox will no longer be the network that the UFC uses. I think. Um, I think the UFC kind of moving towards ESPN. That's where I think it's going to end up. So we'll keep you posted with that. But let's get uh, Bruce Buffer in here for the main event. This is the moment UFC fans around the world have been waiting for. It's a rematch. It's been the year of rematches. And why should this be any different? Anthony Rumble Johnson ranked number one by the UFC with John Jones on the sidelines against the champion who took the belt from an interim point of view, Daniel Cormier, 18-1. and one. Bragg, Rumble looked good. Cormier had to struggle to make weight, but during the lead-up to the fight, has been his cordial, normal self. Rumble knows he made mistakes. Didn't really want to talk about what happened two and a half years ago or two years ago when he was beat and submitted in the third round. Lots changed. Bragg, how do you see it going down Saturday night? We got about eight minutes left. Yeah, this is going to be, this is a very interesting fight to call. Because like you said, uh, two years ago, I guess it was now, that they fought before Cormier was able to wear Anthony Johnson down and get a submission for him in the third round. Anthony Johnson's biggest Achilles heel has always been his cardio. It's always been his gas tank. He's got power for days in his hands. If he touches you solidly, you're going down. At Cormier, though, he does have a good chin. However, something, like I said, just something didn't seem right with the weigh-ins. He had to struggle. Is that going to be a factor in his mind moving towards tomorrow as he gets rehydrated and as he gets ready to go? It's tough, man. Of course, Cormier, the superior wrestler, uh, he's going to want to grind uh, Anthony Johnson, wear him down again, take him to the mat, 
and that's where he's going to want to take this fight and win it, similar to how he did with uh, Anderson Silva back in July. I'm back and forth on this fight. Hard of me wants to pick Anthony Johnson to knock Daniel Cormier out in the third round or the second round, but I'm, man, I think I'm going to go with Daniel Cormier again. I, he always seems to get better and better. I'm maybe going against my gut here, but I'm thinking Daniel Cormier is going to use his superior wrestling, and he's going to grind out a decision victory. Cormier is much stronger than he looks. Um, so keep that in mind, too. Anthony Johnson looks like a million bucks, always in great physical condition and shape, rather. But that gas tank is just too much of a question mark for me. I think Cormier gets a decision victory over Anthony Johnson. You're saying decision? Yes. All right. I'm uh, I'm going in a different direction here, but maybe the same result. Um, the thing that did it to me is, you know, I went back and watched the fight. He's a slow starter. He doesn't come out right out of the gate and, and is ready to roll. And I, I think part of that has to be the injury that he's been putting up for a couple of years that's now healed. Second of all, Rumble was able to stun him with a big shot, drop him. But as you said before, this is Daniel Cormier. This is the guy whose best friend is Cain Velasquez, arguably the scariest man on the planet. And he trains with this dude every day. And he also trains with Luke Rockhold, their other buddy. So used to being hit by big shots from precision strikers, and he keeps going. He's big for light heavyweight, yes, and yeah, he's been doing a lot of stuff in the booth and color commentary and TV. When they did an interview two weeks ago, um, Rumble took his chair, Daniel took his belt, and was like, you know, all nice, and he's like, yeah, Rumble's kind of a bull, and Rumble's like, and Daniel said something that resonated with me, and he goes, that's fine, I do my bullying in the cage. And that's exactly what happened Saturday night. You know that I always go with the striker over the wrestler, but DC is a different kind of wrestler. This is a guy with, um, you know, a silver medalist in the Olympics, or uh, um, a Greco-Roman. Again, he trains with the best. He's been a world champion. His only blemish is to arguably the best fighter in the history of MMA, John Jones, when he's at his peak. I don't see Rumble as that peak. I think the scariest I think the scariest moment of this fight is the first two minutes for, for Cormier. If he gets through the first two minutes, he beats um he, he, he get once this fight goes to the ground, the fight's over, in my opinion. I think yeah. Cormier I think Cormier does it faster this time, um, and gets him out of there in the second round by submission. And um and still. You know, and sets up that showdown with Jones that we know is looming for the end of the year. Any thoughts, Bragg, before we get out of here? No, I could definitely see that happening, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think the first two minutes or so is going to be the most dangerous for Cormier. I think he's got to survive those, and I think he's get, got to get that fight to the ground uh, sooner rather than later so he can begin to uh, wear Anthony Johnson down. I I could definitely see a submission again, but I just think Johnson's going to be a little stronger, a little more prepared this time, just enough, and just enough for uh, Cormier to have it stretched out. 
Yeah, and I, and again, I do believe that Rumble's in great shape, and I do believe that he knows where he's weak and knows he needs to keep the fight standing. But I don't even know if keeping the fight standing is even 100% of a guarantee. Again, Gacy's got a serious cardio. He's got a really good chin. And his boxing, I mean, dude, he just he just beat Anderson Silva. Granted, Silva took the fight on short notice and is, you know, past his prime. But Anderson Silva is, in everybody's mind, the greatest striker that's ever lived. And even though he couldn't, I mean, Anderson Silva still broke Cormier's rib in that fight. I don't think Rumble has the same kind of movement and stuff that that, that Silva has. I just don't think he's gonna. As soon as as soon he's got one minute, I think even two minutes might be too much. I think the first minute Cormier's gonna be vulnerable. He's gonna have to go in there like Mike Tyson and just blow him up, or else I just don't see it happen. No, I and, and again, it's it's going to be it's an interesting fight. You got the polar opposites as far as and I, well, let's let's back up for a second too. Cormier, yes, he's a superior wrestler, but uh, his minutes. hands, yeah, his hands aren't uh, the weakest either. So Cormier could, if needed, if he gets into a a brawl early, uh, he could he could throw hands. He's got a pretty good reach. He may be able to get a, uh, get away with a little bit of a brawl before he can get him to the ground. But before and, and, we get out of here, I want to oh. – Wait, wait, real quick, real quick. Just And another thing, too, is I just don't think that no matter – even if you bring in the best wrestlers to train with and train defense, the way that Cormier can change levels because he's an Olympic wrestler, I just don't think that you can prepare for something like that. No, no, not at all. Not not at uh, DC's level. Not at all. All right. What did you want to say? I was going to say I, I, before we get out of here. I want to. I thought about a question earlier. I wanted to ask you, and we'll put it on Facebook and Twitter and pose it for the question of the week. I'll let you think about it this week and answer it next week. Talking about Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor, it looks like it's closer to happening than it ever has before. We all agree, I think, that Floyd Mayweather is going to win that fight and win it pretty handily. What would you consider a success for Conor McGregor? Would it be going the distance? Would it be landing some shots? Um, what, what, outside of a, a victory, which none of us think is going to happen, what is a success for Conor McGregor uh, when he fights Floyd Mayweather? Well, yeah, I mean, we'll have to answer that next week, but real quick, right off the bat, I would say if he makes it, if he knocks Floyd down, even if it's a flash knockdown where Floyd's not hurt, no one's ever knocked Floyd down, or if he's able to go the distance, I would consider that a victory for Connor. All right, on behalf of the Bragman, I'm your host, LC, saying thanks for stopping by for another edition of the Ultimate Fight Show. Good night. Are you ready? Yeah.